Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and my guest today is one of the most beloved Kitchener Rangers of the past decade. Ben Finelli is his name and his story may be the ultimate comeback story. He was 16 and just a few games into his rookie season when he got hit into the metal stanchion holding the glass together behind his own net. He woke up in the hospital and was told his career was over and that he may never live independently. Two years later, he made it back to the OHL. He started a charity focused on concussion recovery, and he finished his career as captain of the Kitchener Rangers. And that's only the first chapter. Here's his story. You know, when I think about your story, it really speaks to the power of bouncing back from having the odds stacked against you. Here you were a guy, 16 years old, really a kid at the time, and being told your playing career could very well be over. What do you attribute all that to, that ability to bounce back from something like that? I like to keep things simple, and I would say that the biggest thing for me was at a young age I realized, like you said, the odds were in some ways stacked against me. And what I came to realize was that if and ever I was able to play the game of hockey again, it would have to be step by step and slowly chip away. And the concept I came to understand that gave me hope was that each day is an opportunity to bring yourself that much closer to whatever that goal is. And for me, it was playing sports again, getting back to school. And then after that was playing in the Ontario Hockey League again. And the way I approached the I guess journey back was every day is an opportunity to build my odds up. So say it was very low to start with. Each day you can add half a percent and in the next day another half percent. And some days you're going to go back a little bit, but then the next day you keep adding on to that and and try to raise those odds and raise your percentages of overcoming and reaching those goals. So instead of overcomplicating it, uh, that was my approach, whether it be eating healthier, waking up 10 minutes earlier, really simple stuff, but in the grand scheme of things, when you take two years of that, you can you can really make some, some headway, and I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Why don't we go back to the very start, before you remember the Rangers, just falling in love with the game. Uh, you're an Oakville guy, right? So tell me about the sports that you fell in love with growing up and when it went from just being a kid playing sports to thinking hockey is the one for me. Well, when I grew up, I... W- played pretty much every sport I could other than rugby, football, and baseball. Mostly everything else I I gave it a shot. Soccer and hockey were my biggest sports with an Italian background. Soccer was definitely a big part of my life, equally as big as hockey. And as I grew up and had to pick my sport, I, I leaned towards hockey. Two other sports I really enjoyed was lacrosse. I have a best friend that that plays pro lacrosse and that sport I still love and and always did as a kid. I wish I played more of it as a kid. And swimming. Swimming is one I, I really enjoy. I'm not that good at it, and my I don't think my body type is quite fit for speed in the pool, but I love the workout, I love the concept, and, and love everything to do with it, enjoy watching it during the Olympics. So I'd say growing up, yeah, my, my biggest sports were, were hockey and soccer, and beyond that, I owe it to my parents. I mean, I don't know how they were able to take me from school to sports to all over town too, so growing up, sports were a big part of my life, and the one thing I always look back now at is, is thanking my parents for giving me that opportunity. So the big thing was what sports brought into my life and, and 
it's the camaraderie and the the little things it teaches you. So yeah, I'd say every sport was again besides those three that I talked about. A bunch of those sports were a huge part of my life, and and I think sport will always be whether I'm playing, coaching, or whatnot. It'll it'll always be a part of my life. You realize now just how many hours your parents put in driving you place to place, practice to practice. It's uh, it really probably doesn't sink in until later on that you can actually appreciate it. One hundred percent. And now that I'm at the age where I realize the sacrifices my parents made, I. And I realize how starting to at least realize more and more somewhat how this world works. And I always make sure I thank them. I think once a week I, I text my mom and dad and say, I can't believe you did what you did. You know, I think I'm busy with what I'm doing and they had more on their plate and were still able to make time to take me to sport and sacrifice their time to do so. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing and, and lucky to have the parents that I do. So growing up in, in hockey, there were three teams in that formative time period that were dominant. There were the Devils. There were the Red Wings, and there were the Avalanche. That was kind of a time period where it was one of those three was dominating. Were either of those a team of yours, or were you were you coming off the map in, in some other team? I grew up in an area, neighborhood in Oakville, where it was a lot of Leaf fans. And growing up, I, of course, wanted to go against the grain. And my era was the Leafs and Senators was a huge rivalry. And I wanted to, again, go against the grain. So I ended up starting to like the Senators just because I wanted to cheer against the status quo and it was exciting and then the more I started to understand the game and then start to understand the leadership side of the game I took a loving to Daniel Alfredson and they've been one of my favorite teams ever since so I think growing up the Sens were were my team and now ventured to a couple other teams where I have some best buddies playing and, and I try to keep up with those teams as well. Where did the jersey number come from for you? It kind of started with Bobby Orr but then I mean that meaning wasn't too important to me. That's kind of where I think it derived. But then after that, it was the fact that I tried to go for four in every sport I played and just continued on from there. So a little bit of meaning at the start from, from the famous four that Bobby Orr used to wear. But after that, it was more or less the number that I, I really liked. And it was simple and stuck with me in most of the sports I could play. So somewhere down the line, hockey becomes the one that you want to focus on. And you discover that you're pretty good at it. And the Kitchener Rangers show some interest. What did you know, being from Oakville, about the Rangers and the city of of Kitchener-Waterloo at the time? The one thing I knew from minor hockey was that it's very hard to get around in if you don't understand the area. So I think my mom and I got lost going to a tournament once. And so that's what I knew about Kitchener-Waterloo area, coming down highway or coming up Highway 8. And you have the off-ramps there. There's three of them. And I think we messed, we, first time we went the wrong one, second time, and third time was the charm that we finally picked the right one. So that, that I knew. Besides that, I didn't know much about the OHL. And I didn't really start to look into it till my draft year at 15 years old. In Oakville, the community is a little different. So we don't have the, we have a junior A team, but not a major junior team. So that hockey community is a little different. Hockey's not as talked about as it is in, in this community here. So I was never educated on it until, I realized it was a potential for me, and that's when I started to learn about it. But before my draft year, I didn't know much about the OHL or the Rangers. What was that first training camp like for you, going from the unknown of sent off to a new city, you have new host family, and a whole bunch of new teammates and coaches? It was definitely overwhelming. It For me, too, I was, I think, 
a little bit behind the eight ball too with how the whole OHL thing worked. Again, I wasn't from an area and didn't know much about the Ontario Hockey League. So learning about how the game worked and the culture, it was it was overwhelming for sure. But you have you're so busy at training camp that you don't really have time to sit and feel sorry for yourself or or really feel lost. You kind of just have to keep one foot in front of the other, keep moving forward. Because if not, then you'll be headed back home, right? So that was my first taste of the real pressures of the game and. It was an amazing experience looking back. At the time, it was overwhelming, but you find a way through it, and it just makes you that much better. So, yeah, it was a it was a great experience. Met some individuals at camp, too, that didn't quite make the team, but lasting friendships. So, yeah, it was a great experience. What was the, the most formative uh, memory or moment from those early weeks and months leading up to that first season for you? I would say my first exhibition game in Kitchener was one of the biggest memories leading up to actually playing in the, in the league in the real season. That was a big one. Also playing in an exhibition game in Brampton was a big memory as well because I played there playing minor hockey, but the rink just has a whole different vibe when you're playing in the Ontario Hockey League. So that was a, an eye-opener and a great experience I was lucky enough to be a part of. And, yeah, that, those were some memories. Before things got serious, that was uh, – those were some memories I remember pretty well. And at the time, are you thinking NHL or bust already? Or what What was your path in your mind of where you would be five years down the road? At that point, I think it's almost standard across the board when you get that opportunity as a 16-year-old that your ego's pretty well intact to say. I wouldn't say cocky or conceited, but when you're at that age and you're naive and a lot of people and your friends look up to you as a, as a hockey player without the education of really how hard it is to make it and the experience of actually playing a full season, you're you're pretty confident with yourself thinking that, you know what, here's a, a good opportunity to play professional hockey one day. And that's where I thought things were going to go. And that's really, I think, at, at that time, not necessarily an unhealthy mindset because you do have to be really committed to the game and you do have to believe in yourself. So that's where my mindset was as a 16-year-old. And I knew I had lots to learn, especially that first camp, like I said, experiencing that first bit of pressure and realizing the caliber of, of the game definitely checks your ego, and you have to find a way to, to really believe that this is something you're going to do, and you're going to be able to do it 64 games of the year. So at the time, your first rookie season with the Rangers, you're 16 years old, grade 10, 11, and you're soaking it in, enjoying your first experience in the league, and very early on in the season things changed dramatically for you put me in that place as far as uh, what happened and what you remember happening so if I tell the story from my point of view we kind of miss the 24 hours around the injury but what I do remember is the game before in Brampton my parents came out to the game and I remember Ryan Murphy and I were partners in the first period and we had a bit of a, a rough start and I remember Spotter came down to talk to us and called us out and said to you know figure things out or we wouldn't be playing the, the rest of the game and we, we did I remember we woke up and had a great second and third and felt really good after the game actually and I remember talking to my parents after the game gave them hugs and started loading the bus as one of the rookie duties and then at that point, I woke up in the hospital. So what had actually happened was we I got on the bus and we went back to Kitchener. And 
unloaded the bus, went home, had the, a regular day the next day and pregame whatnot and played the game and had my injury. So I don't remember any of that. Where I do start to remember again is when I woke up in the hospital and I couldn't tell you which day it was, but when I came to in the hospital, I remember the doctor was standing to my right and my mom was sitting to my left. And as I started to come to, my mom said, Ben, do you know why you're here? And instantly I started to tear up because I had no concept or no idea why I was in that hospital bed. And I was shaking my limbs to try and figure out what the problem was. What did I break this time? What stitches did I get this time kind of thing? But my body felt fine. And before my mom could chime in and tell me what had happened, the doctor chimed in and said, Ben, after your game in Brampton the following night, home in Kitchener, you were hit behind your net, your helmet fell off, and he said that my head hit the metal stanchion that holds the glass in place fell to the ice and was airlifted to where I was in, the, in that hospital bed. And he said that sports were completely out of the question for the rest of my life. He said that if I did go to school, it would I would need two years off and would need a teaching assistant in all my classes. And then the last thing he had to say, which was really the scariest thing he had for me as I, as I woke up, was that I may not be the same person I was the first 16 years of my life. So I guess that's the long way to answer your question how it went that night or that week was that you went from, like we had already discussed, being told that you'll have a chance to play professional hockey one day, growing up, playing every sport you could, to being told that you'll never really have the opportunity to play sports again. So at that point, it was hard to really focus on that, even though that that is a, a big hit to the ego, of course. But at that point, I wasn't sure what state I was in just in being. So it was hard to really worry about playing sports at that point it was more am I going to be okay what's going on kind of thing where am I how did I get here was still first and foremost second was the sports part but I was thinking we can deal with that later so that's what happened that night that's my memory of it so you had a a skull fracture essentially what what were the x-rays showing as far as what happened to you and how bad it was um, I won't go into too many details on the injury specifically, but yeah, there was a orbital, my orbital bone was fractured just under my eye and the injury itself, again, not to go into specifics, but was, was definitely a lot worse than a concussion and needed constant check-ins to make sure things were okay and, and I was stable. And long story short, a lot of ups and downs during that week. I don't remember all of them, but the Friday, I was there Friday to Friday and on the last my seventh day there, I was laying in the hospital bed and the doctor came in and said, Ben, we're going to do one more CAT scan and MRI and see how things look. And if things have cleared up, then you can head home and continue your recovery at home. And he said, if things haven't cleared up, we are going to have to do brain surgery. And at that point, he calmly walked out of the room and nurses took his place and walked into the room and and started prepping me for brain surgery and gluing beads on my head just in case the news wasn't what we wanted. So what felt like an hour, I think it was only about 20 minutes, my time there is kind of skewed, but my mom came and, and sat on the bed with me while we waited for the results and waited, and we were trying to stay positive. My dad came in, and, and I laugh now. At the time, I wasn't thinking it was too funny, but 
he came in the room and said, Ben, I'm going to go start the van and pull it up front so that when we get the good news and you can come home, you won't have to wait for me to go grab the car or wait for the car to heat up, which is funny now because I think he's a huge source of my, my optimism and positivity. So he left the room and we're waiting and waiting. And finally, the doctor walks back in and says, Ben, we're not able to explain how you feel the way you have, but you're going to be able to head home today and, and continue your recovery at home. And after that, it was two years of recovery and, and whatnot. But that's where, at that point, they put me in the wheelchair, wheeled me downstairs, and lo and behold, my dad was there with the yeah. side of the van door open, and I got in the car, and we headed home. And, yeah, then two years of work ahead of me. Just a rush of relief hearing that news, going from, you know, you could have brain surgery to you're heading home to your parents and your family again. Yeah, it was... The, at that point, there wasn't really a worry for that split second. It was, it was unbelievable. And then the next morning, that's when the reality set in of life's going to be a little different. And for the first month, it was more, there was a lot of precautions. So I wasn't really sure. I was also on anti-seizure medication at the time. So I wasn't really sure how things were going to go with symptoms and do I feel this way because I'm not allowed to do much and I'm laying around all day you know how was my balance my sight it was all a little bit off to start and memory was a little bit off but we weren't sure what was because of the medication what was because of me being stationary for most of the day and and not my normal lifestyle is that why I felt bad is that why I had symptoms or was it because of the injury and as I slowly pushed it and pushed it, and, and when I say push it, I mean two walks around the block instead of one, what I was allowed to do, and that became a walk around the block and then some Sudoku, and then that became balance drills, walk around the block, Sudoku, nap, and each time I could do something without any issue, I would add something else to it, do that till I have no issues, add something else to it. And I don't know what I did to cause the healing, but what I do know is again, going back to what we started with, is I was doing a little bit of everything to try and raise those odds of, of forcing my brain to heal. I was even getting massages on my neck and changing my diet to be healthier, higher in omega-3s, and I'm not trying to give advice or nutrition advice on how to heal a concussion. These are just things I did and doing a little bit of everything, and that ramped up to working out at about 95% after about... I'd say five months of recovery. And then the following year, I stayed with the Rangers again. So I moved back with the Rangers, sorry, after that, about a month, two months of being home after my injury, I moved back with the Rangers and was doing all that stuff at my billet house here in town and going to all the games, doing all that stuff with the team. The following year, I decided to move back with the team, even though I wasn't allowed to play. It was just such an amazing community to be a part of. There was support everywhere which is another big part that we can get into about why I'm here today. I think this community is a big part. But anyways, two years of working on healing and forcing myself to heal was a mindset I had and decided to do a triathlon and train for a triathlon. And two years later, right before another appointment with the neurologist, I was lucky enough to complete a, a triathlon in Milton. In those early weeks, as you're back home and you're you're walking around the block, is it a, a matter of just getting... Uh, tired, physically tired from that exercise and then having to stop? Or did you feel like you could do more, but you know, you, you're getting that advice that you really got to take it easy right now? A bit of both. I'd say more the 
fact that I was told to take it easy and not push it too hard. So that was more of the issue. I think I started to get my energy back. And funny story, actually, the reason I did move back with the team not to skate or do anything with the team, but just be a part of the team, was my mom one day said, Ben, you're really starting to drive me crazy again because I was back living at home. I was starting to get my energy back, act like myself. And she said, you're really starting to drive me crazy again, obviously being a little facetious. And, and she said, maybe we should move back with the team, see if you can get back into high school. And that right there was the point where things really started to ramp up. And that's where I feel I really started to get back to 100%. And I have this community to thank for it. When I moved back with the team, I remember we went when they had a game and they welcomed me back and the, the stadium erupted and it was absolutely incredible. And that's when I was just the tip of the iceberg of when I realized how absolutely incredible the Kitchener-Waterloo community is. And I walked into the change room. Everyone was super happy to see me. And I remember I was in Spotter's office, Steve Spot, my head coach at the time. He said, Ben, you're a part of this team for the next five years if you want to be. We're going to leave your stall there. That's your spot. You're part of this team, whether you're in the lineup or not. And he said, your role is going to be up to you, what you want to do. But for the next five years, just like, or four years, depending five for an overage year, he said, just like your contract says, you're going to be a part of this team. And again, that was just the beginning of an incredible two years of support. And whenever I do speak in this community, which I've had the lucky enough opportunity to do so, I always make sure I thank the audience because that arena, those 7,000 people plus just being in the community doing stuff. There were times where I would go into Tim Hortons and people would stop and say, hey, are you Ben Finale? Well, I wish you a, a strong recovery. I hope to see you playing again. But if not, I wish you the best with whatever you do with your life. And it was those little things constantly. And then being around 23 of my best buddies, my teammates that were constantly supporting me, you put all that into two years. It's Again, amazing what, what you can overcome when you have the right people around you. And this Kitchener-Waterloo community was the perfect formula for that. This was all before you get the go-ahead to actually return to the sport and, and get on skates again and, and return to practice and everything that would follow after that. When did you get the news that it would be okay for you to get back out on the ice? Going into my what would have been my second year with the team, when I realized I would start training for a triathlon, there was also a, something in the back of my head that was saying, you know what, maybe there is opportunity here to play again. Miraculously, one in a million chance, maybe there'll be a chance. So when I wasn't allowed on the ice for practice, I would go down to the gym and train and train and train and to the point where I would swim during the day while the team was at practice and I'd work out while the team was practicing. It was pretty actually intense of a schedule for someone that wasn't allowed to, to play sports. I was basically just using fitness as a an outlet and where I could relieve some stress of not being able to play. And what was interesting was we booked a appointment with a neurologist two years after I left the hospital. So I'd have those two years to work on recovering. And after those two years, we would do a follow-up and that was the date that I was working towards. Basically, I knew in my mind if there was any chance, that one in a million chance, it was at that meeting. But I had basically a year to do everything and anything I could to force my brain to heal for that meeting. And again, keeping it simple, that was my mindset. And I remember going to this meeting when I had put in the two years of work 
knowing that there was a very, very slight chance. I had my headphones on, and it was almost like going like Rocky with my hood on, and mm. I was just keeping to myself. My parents were driving the car. I was trying to get pumped up, and I, in hindsight, I don't know why, but I was really bringing myself, getting myself pretty hyped up for this. What are you listening to in your headphones at the time? Oh, going back to, what was that, 2010. Whatever was the mainstream <laughs> in the change room at that point. I don't know if that's Black Eyed Peas or Eminem, probably some Eminem. Um, but... Yeah, that was the music was going, and I really was hanging on this huge hope of hearing what I wanted to hear, which was that I could play again. And I remember we walked into the neurologist's office, and there were were two computers at the doctor's desk, and they turned, basically as soon as we sat down, they turned the monitors around and showed me the scan from that evening that I was injured, and then the scan from that day, that present day of my most recent MRI and CAT scan, and they couldn't explain the healing and how I'd healed, totally healed and would have the opportunity to play hockey again. And it was an unbelievable feeling. It was satisfaction, and it's hard to put into words because you, you, I wanted to expect it, but I didn't really expect it at the same time because there were just so many people, newscasters, other people in the league, people in the hockey community, friends, just assuming that hockey would never be a sports at all, right? Would never be a part of my life again. And it was pretty incredible to hear that news and then knew there was more work to do. When I was lucky enough to go back to the Rangers at camp, Spotter had said that I would have to make the team just like everyone else, which is how I'd want to be treated. I wouldn't want to be treated any other way. And and uh, that meeting was a big turning point in my life and opened up the opportunity for three unbelievable years that have shaped me into the person I am today. One of those early practices back when you're on skates again, you're close to the boards and Gabriel Landeskog comes over and gives you a little nudge. What was it like to see your teammates and to be around your teammates again? I mean, you spent time with them in that period when you were not be able to play, but to be able to be on the ice with them and have them joke around like it was old times again. It was pretty funny. I remember I remember him doing that like it was yesterday, and he was a huge, huge, huge support system that I had, especially in the position he was where he didn't need to take the time to, to support me. He had to worry about being a first-round pick and starting his NHL career, but yet he still took the time to show support, and that's the reason we're such good friends today. It was funny. He said he wanted to get the first hit in on me, and, and he totally did that. And you know what? He said that years before. He was another person kind of in my corner and optimistic and supporting me and said he'd be the first one to hit me when I get back. And he made sure he did that. Um, the other thing was funny is that I was just so excited to be out there after the first drill. I was gassed every, for the first few practices, <laughs> I'd just be flying around and, and then gassed for the next three quarters of practice. So it was very surreal for the first, even the first month of games, every game that first month felt like a first game over again, because it was so surreal. So pretty, exciting first month I mean the excitement continued for the rest of my three years playing but that first month was definitely something special speaking of those games do you remember the first game back and the response from the odd those 7,000 fans seeing you out there on the ice that that's one thing I for sure can't put into words it was basically a if you would put it as a metaphor of what this community is like where everyone you know, honored me really, and it was an honorable experience to have 
a lot of people in that rink standing up cheering for me as I skated out was just a snapshot of this community. And when someone goes down in this community, when someone needs support in this community, everyone around them stands up and supports them. And I think that's what needs to be really focused on in that situation. Yes, it was amazing for me and and felt really cool and the words to describe it could go on for a long time but I think the one thing to to take in into consideration or to focus on in that specific time was what you can accomplish when you have amazing support from amazing people and that's that's what I look back and remember from that situation was that those people are standing up but they were at my back for the past two years so I thank every single one there for that and that's that's what I remember when I look back on it who were your biggest believers the people that were in your corner as you were fighting to get back and the people who were telling you you know we'll see you back out there even when the news that you had gotten wasn't so good to be honest, for most of it, it was me. It was the voice in my head. The other ones would have been Ryan Murphy, Ben Thompson, Gabriel Landeskog, Charlie Dodaro, my close, younger rookie buddies on the team, my first 16-year-old year. They were definitely on my side. I, I really think Spotter was a, a big believer as well, only because he saw the behind the scenes of me taking the gym key during game days and heading down to the gym and, and working out. And when he said that I'd be a part of the team for the next four years to five years if I wanted to was you know I think there was some hope there and in his mind as well whether there was or wasn't that's how I took it and I think he was he was on my side as well staying optimistic I think my parents were as well mind you my mom didn't like the game of hockey before the injury because of the violence of it so this injury definitely did not help at all and she would have liked me not to play the game for sure, if if I'm being honest. And the one thing that I guess helped convince her to allow me to play was the two years of hard work that I put in for the opportunity and when that opportunity was given. Not that it forced her hand by any means. If she could have stopped me from playing, she would have 100%. It was the fact that the work I put in and that the opportunity was, was granted to me and the, that I made the team again. My dad as well, I think, was very similar. He didn't show as much that he didn't want me to be on the ice. I think he he was 50-50 with him wanting me to be safe. And the other side was that he he wanted me to keep chasing my dream, and I think he realized I I had a chance to make something of the game of hockey. The other thing that I already talked about to the other group of people was this community. I think a lot of people were, were really pulling for me, and from their side, they... I think weren't as much focused on the health side of things and the the safety side of things. They were hockey fans hoping that a hockey player could play hockey again. And yeah, I'd say those were the the biggest groups of people in my life that gave me the optimism and support I needed. Your last season with the Rangers, you get a chance to wear the captain's jersey, something that very few people have the chance to do. And for you to have that past understanding that past perspective of being told once that hockey was out of the question sports was out of the question that you may not even be able to live independently the rest of your life to be given an honor like that and to to see the the confidence that your teammates have in you to be that guy for them to be the leader in the locker room uh what's that like 
It was humbling for so many different reasons. At that point, I think I'd grown up a lot with the coaches I had, every single one of the coaches I had, assistant or not, Dan Liebold, Bearcat, plus all the players I played with. I think every individual had a a piece in in my growth as an individual, not as a as a hockey player. And I think at that point, I was humbled because I realized what it really meant to be a leader in anything, not just hockey, but in a business. And I learned so much and met so many great people in this community that for me, it was just incredible to have the opportunity to be a leader and be granted that opportunity meant to me more than hockey was this is an opportunity to develop skills and be a leader in general, not just a hockey captain. And looking down the list of past captains and what those people stand for and what they've done with their lives as captains and post-career is quite humbling to be put on that list of names. My first year when I stepped into the league with Dan Kelly as my captain, he was, I mean, those were the biggest shoes to fill. He was an absolute unbelievable captain and leader and had everyone in the room buy into what he wanted done, which was what the coach wanted done. And for him to do that with the players we had that were all, there were a lot of signed guys on the team, a lot of guys that were about to be signed, a lot of all-stars, a lot of first-round picks. And he and he would, he would know this as well. This is nothing against Dan, but he was not in that same position. He was working for a contract. Yet he still had the respect and buy-in of all those guys that had signed NHL contracts that were about to be first-round NHL picks, he had their buy-in, which is uh, that situation alone shows what an incredible leader he was. And it's nice running him to him in town today, not being a rookie when he treats me a little a little nicer, we'll say. Uh, but I, you know what, that first year, his support for me and and also the his ability to razz me when I was still and, and you know, caused me some issues when I was still when I was freshly out of the hospital and whatnot treated me as if I was he didn't he wasn't soft with me and treated me as every other young guy on the team and and that was that was awesome he made me really feel like I was a part of that team whether I was playing in the on Friday nights or not so again long story short he's an unbelievable guy and, and I learned a lot from him that helped me be the captain I was same goes for the other captains that you know, were there in front of me as well. Michael Cadenacci, Gabriel Landeskog, and Ryan Murphy, they all they all had one thing that I kind of took and helped me, again, develop into the captain I was. I like to think I had a little bit of each of them in, in my leadership and, and even who I am today. So it was, again, very humbling and, and cool to be put on a list with, with names such as those. And, I mean, the list goes on of people that were there before me. Your hockey recovery and your bounce back is only part of your story. And I think what makes you unique is what you've done outside of the game in the years since. And even in your recovery time when you started up Headstrong and what has become the Empower Foundation. Why was that an important thing for you to get involved in something greater than what could be, I mean, a very fulfilling thing in itself and just dedicating yourself to sport? The biggest thing was to go back to when I was in the hospital and I was told that I may be a different person than I was the first 16 years of my life, realizing that that alone I was I was still the same person I was and always have been. And that alone I was lucky. The fact that I got to play sports again in general and then play 
hockey at a competitive level again was just the sugar on top. So realizing how lucky and blessed I was, I felt there was a not an owing to to people, but a an opportunity to help other people receive that same opportunity if they are put in a situation similar to myself. Hopefully, or I hope no one ever is, which it's hard to say. If there are other if there are ever other people in my situation, I hope to to do everything in my power to give them the opportunity I had. And when I presented the opportunity to Spotter, he was on board right away because I went in with a Word document, probably with a bunch of spelling mistakes. It was one page, and it was a concept of what I wanted to do. And he was on board right away and sent the document down to the office. And Michelle Fortin, who works for the Rangers, helped build Headstrong into what it was. And she's incredible herself and empower wouldn't be where it is if it wasn't for her starting the headstrong program with me and yeah it was it was all really created to try and give other people the opportunity and support that i had what has that been like for you to learn uh the inner workings of of a nonprofit and in in the the work that goes into uh maintaining one in in growing one and uh, and also the reward and seeing people respond to it it's really neat i did not go into business at school so to be able to learn hands-on another way with some of the social ventures i'm working on but also this nonprofit, i'm really learning a lot it's not as simple as it looks for sure there's a lot of moving pieces a lot of important pieces that being the individuals on the board and all the people that support the other interesting thing I learned was you're only as good as, or a lot of times or often with a nonprofit, without funds, it's hard to run a successful program. Not that it can't be done, but it's definitely very, very difficult if you don't have funds coming in and substantial funds coming in, depending on the size and your goals of the of the nonprofit. So it's interesting to see different ways of engaging people to find support whether that be monetary or human support it's it's interesting and you and you learn a lot and you find ways around the again the issue of maybe not having as much funding as you as you'd hoped and obviously setting goals to receive those types of funds but you you find ways to make things work when you don't have millions of dollars in capital to go do whatever you want you find ways around that you bring people on board that can give you value that you might not have on your own and that's just what we've done with the empower foundation there's a a lot of well-connected successful business people on the board from toronto doctors on our board marketing gurus and people in sport past captains past professional athletes we have a, a doctoral team that helps with the research side of things we have a professional athlete ambassador team as well so you have again you have all these moving pieces and then on top of that you have your board of directors so long story short a lot of moving pieces you have to be able to improvise work as a team of course and find a way you have your end goal of what you want to do and now it's about creating that map kind of as you go there is no map to fix the concussion landscape if there was, then we wouldn't be having this conversation about it and Empower wouldn't be a thing. There's no map on how to or what to do when you have a concussion. So in the perfect world, 
Our destination is the concussion is treated like a sprained ankle or a broken arm. Everyone knows what to do. We know the process. It's in six weeks, you're back to, or eight weeks, whatever it is, you're back to doing what you love to do. That's our end destination. Now we're creating the map to try and get there and trying to build the team to do so. One thing that you've mentioned continuously is community, this community specifically. Uh, I mean, you, you weren't originally from Kitchener-Waterloo area, Waterloo region, but you've stayed. You, you didn't have to either. What brings you back? Where to start? The thing that brings me back, I think, is the ability to be involved in something special. So going back a little bit to the hopes and dreams of playing in the National Hockey League, being a part of a team with 23 amazing individuals that you'll keep in touch with for the rest of your life. When that's not taken from you, I wouldn't say taken, but when you move on from that, there may be a bit of a void that needs to be filled, and being a part of this community fills that void plus some. And it's not a hockey team. It's a community that I'm a part of, still a team. And there's challenges, and you deal with them just like a team. And you have leaders, and you have people that buy into the process and become leaders themselves, just like a hockey team. And that's the biggest thing, I think, is that there's so many similarities to playing for the Kitchener Rangers and being a part of the Kitchener-Waterloo community. So it definitely fills that void. And the now as I become older and have the ability to be a part of more organizations, I see the opportunity to now be a somewhat of a leader in this community and another humbling opportunity that I pride myself in and plan to do for a long time. You've done so much in your short years already. What do you want to do in the years to come? If I could say a dream come true, what I want to do in years to come is to create platforms or businesses where you can create money to put food on your table, but the real currency that you're achieving is helping other people. And I I don't mean that to sound cliche or say what people want to hear. I've really taken a liking to working with people and helping motivate other people. And I think there's multiple ways to do that and there's amazing people in this world doing it people with millions of dollars and people with nothing that are all doing it and I think you find you can't do it all you can't help everyone you have to find what you're going to do to play your role play your part in in making this community but this world a better place and I don't know exactly what it'll be long term but I really do hope that it's there's some maybe it's one social venture maybe it's a couple that I'm have the ability to be a part of or maybe lead one day and put food on my table but help a large number of people. We'll see where that that goes, but that's my goal, and we'll see what happens. Somebody would have tell you, you know, the doctor in the room as you're a 16-year-old kid, if they were to tell you, you know, hockey, probably not going to make it to the NHL, but you're going to go on to do this, this, and this. What do you think your reaction would have been at the time? Whew. To even take that into consideration and try and comprehend that in such a high-stress situation would have been tough. But if I was able to, there probably would have been a lot of disbelief in the room, especially after the news that was laid out before that, that I may not be the same person. Well, how would I how would I go about doing that then? So, yeah, I'd probably be a lot of disbelief if I'm, if I'm being honest. It was, I didn't think of it at the time. And even still, I'm amazed at the abilities of this community and Again, it just shows you that you involve yourself with the right people and raise your odds. Maybe my goals will be a 
something I can't accomplish, just like returning to play hockey again. Thanks a lot, Ben. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. I went into that conversation a fan of Ben's and came out an even bigger fan. Really nice guy. If you want to know more about the Empower Foundation, head to empwr.ca. And if you like the show, it's on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Hit subscribe. There's more on the way. You can also do me a big favor by leaving a review or sharing it with someone else you think might like it. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. <laughs>